Welcome to the Honest CB podcast. We're the podcast for health professionals and the wider community. We need to explore diversities in health, ask some hard questions, and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based on Sydney's Orland Beaches. And joining me as always is Allied Health business owner, Andrew. Andrew, how are you going today? I'm well. How are you? I'm very, very well. Now, Andrew, before we uh, introduce our guest and introduce our beers, uh, one quick question. Oh, sorry. One quick acknowledgement. You are the 2023 Exercise Physiologist of the Year. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. What do you have to say to your raving fan base and many, many followers in the industry? Oh, uh, nothing really changes. <laughs> All right, let's let's bring our guest in. Our guest today is uh, an EP um, at heart. He's a clinical educator with Knowledge Exchange, and he's also um the 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 podcaster the head podcaster from the knowledge exchange and he's a mentor to eps and health professionals around the globe he is dan arbilla from arbilla exercise physiology dan welcome to the show mate mate thank you for having me honored it's um fellow podcast host to now podcast host it's nice how good is that how good is that? This isn't the first time we've we've spoken over Zoom, and it won't be the last time, I imagine. But it's wonderful to do it on a recording now, which is very very good. Well, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna crack some drinks of of a variety, so we'll do that. Oh, and um, first off, Dan, what are you drinking today, mate? So there's this um really natural organic liquid, uh, H two O. It's a uh, pure um gluten-free so I, I i hold my uh social anxiety and my water <laughs> at the same time um it, it's it's taken me through life i've, I've relied on it and I, i'd like to thank the earth and um yeah and and appreciate all liquids of this earth wonderful are you sponsored by this h2o i really wish it'd be nice to have some sponsorship That'd be good. Um, but no, maybe future, future plans. Imagine if 70% of your body was sponsored. How good would that be? Would it be sponsored by itself? <laughs> it's like sponsored. a perpetuating cycle. Uh, Biller Exercise Physiology, sponsored by Mother Earth. That'd be and, great. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, what are you drinking today, mate? Uh, I have a Bolter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a Bolter. Uh, it is a West Coast Pilsner Bolter. Okay. And uh, I went to the 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 bottle shop and the man said have that one he's like very good thank you how is it yeah. and that's my story <laughs> and how is the bolter mm. it is good it is boltery it is uh, good. they they do a, a pretty consistent goodness the bolter brand so uh, i would gladly accept sponsorship from bolter should they offer it should they approach the ep of the year oh how dare they they would have to go through your pa surely <laughs> I am I am also on a bolter today, but it is the only one we had in the fridge at work, and it is the bolter caps Captain Sensible. So it is not alcoholic beer. Um, but if I close my eyes, it basically tastes like the Bolter XPA. Is it is it no alcohol? Oh uh oh <laughs> never mind, it's one standard drink. One standard drink. <laughs> I thought it was not alcoholic. Okay, my bad. It's oh, it's a mid. It's a mid straight. Might as well be the same. Yeah. It's a mid straight. Fuck, my bad. I've gone through thought... the whole podcast and then figure out <laughs> by the very end. I was like, oh, I have five of these. It's it's not alcoholic. Okay, right. It's a mid straight beer. Silly me. I didn't turn around. Three point five percent, but it tastes like an XPA, uh, mm. which is great. So I feel very sensible on this Thursday afternoon. And I'm very excited to to get in some interesting topics today uh, that we've a little bit crowdsourced, uh, a little bit come up from come up with ourselves. Um, but I thought, uh, Andrew, where, where would you like to start off with? We've, we've got Dan on the pod. Where would you like to start off? Oh, man. I mean, I feel like I feel like having you Dan, on, on the pod is is really exciting for me. Because I feel like when I started my career as an EP, like we were so heavily into this kind of mechanical model of pain. And, you know, we're trying to 
fine special movements that give us some insight into potentially why uh, people are experiencing the, the pain that they're in. Um, and for, for me, it's been um, really interesting kind of from, from the outside looking in now as to the way that um, the way that we treat as EPs and potentially as a, as a broader community kind of uh, has approached chronic pain. Um, tell us a bit about your story and tell us a bit about like how you've how you've developed the the ideas and beliefs and opinions that you have now and um, who's kind of inspired you to to end up where you are. Yeah, such a great question. Um, and I echo the the differences in clinical practice to my new grad year compared to now. It's like a whole world of difference and the kind of expectations that I had of what EP work was uh, even during studying. So uh, back in graduated 2014 and so much has changed since then. There's, and I can, I can only imagine what it's like for, for students and for new grads now, um, like a huge amount of difference. I think, so I, so graduated 2014, I had a bit of FOMO in terms of travel and also a bit of fear avoidance with adult life and responsibilities and full-time work. So I was like, I'm going to make the most of government supported hex debt and go back to uni and did two and a half years of arts. The reason being I could do whatever, can I swear? Whatever. whatever yeah, you whatever. can swear. Yeah. I was going to say whatever the heck I want, but whatever the fuck I want. Um, and I chose psychology and I was keen on just why do people behave the way they do? Um, and never wanted to go into clinical psych because that was, that would have been an extra like three years of study. Um, so I've officially started working as an EP around 2017. Um, and yeah, definitely looking for a fix, looking for some kind of way to differentiate myself from physios. Um, so I was working in a commercial gym and there were personal trainers that were like infinitely bigger than me and probably illegally with their supplements. Um, <laughs> And I was like, okay, cool. So I can't, I can't get the, like the look of a trainer or like the look of authority. So how can I differentiate myself? And I went down the corrective exercise route. Um, and then I didn't also, I just, I didn't want to be like a quote unquote physio aid when I was working with, with physios. So I'm like, okay, I got to like steal all their knowledge and like do everything I can within my scope. Um, and I was hunting for the magic recipe, whatever that would be within the corrective exercise strength training route. Um, and then I'm pretty sure it was an ESSA sponsored email that said the biomechanics education, mm. um, 2018 or 2019, one of, one of those years, I think it was 2018. Um, and I'm like, oh, all right, cool. Yeah. That's like what? 16 points does, does the job. Um, and I rocked up expecting a biomechanics education course. I did obviously didn't look at any of the It was period. very misleading. It was, yeah. Oh, so, so, <laughs> so much. Um, so unethical advertising aside from Brendan, <laughs> um, it was a, it was an experience. It was like, they, they had a patient demo and the patient was, a he'd been through work cover and my memory like is a bit fuzzy, but he had like nine months or 12 months of, of shoulder pain. And the first assessment that uh, Luke did as a clinician was like a 20 kilo overhead press with a barbell. I'm like, holy shit. That like <laughs> counted all the TheraBand external rotation, like arm by the side and then elbow out uh, protocol that I had in my mind. Um, and that was like the spark. That was, that was like my expectations of what the hell an EP is, what we do was completely obliterated, destroyed. I had an existential crisis. I was like, what, who am I? What, 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 what do I do? I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything. Um, I'm of no value. My self-worth has kind of gone down the drain. Um, so that was fun. Don't recommend going down the existential rabbit hole, but I, I think after that, I was like, okay, cool. So who is reliable? Where can I go? Um, what kind of information knowledge can I gain within the world of like the science of pain, pain science. And that was like the gateway into people like Greg Lehman, people like Adam Meekins, um, 
people like Ben Cormack, like all the, the, the people out there putting out, promoting helpful messages. Um, and that led me also to reflect back on my psych degree, or at least what, what I studied within um, social psychology and what are those principles that, that I can then apply within my scope of practice. And it's been a journey since then going into um, motivational interviewing, a little bit of CBT, but mostly ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, so that's like my new religion. I'm preaching from, from like an ACT kind of. I, I hope for your future that you don't have an existential crisis around oh. ACT. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I'd hate for that to happen again. We need you. a part three for that, for that episode. Um, but yeah, so, so going down, like what, what kind of skill sets are number one most important when working with humans experiencing such a complex experience that is pain? Um, and what can I do within my, uh, uh, I guess, skill sets? And what, what were the gaps as well? Because there were so many gaps from uni. I, I was, mm. I think during this existential crisis, I think one of the reasons why I s- kind of struggled at times was because I was pissed off. Mm. I was pissed off. I don't know about, about your experiences, but I was just like angry that the teaching that I had received never went through this or it mm. just never updated. And I mm. still to this day hear from students um, some of the slides that they teach and some of the mm. assessments um, and this, they, they haven't changed. No, they, they really haven't, haven't. They haven't changed. Um, so it would be nice to know that, you know, it would have been fine and dandy to have some transparency in university. Um, so that that frustration drew me to keep learning and drew me to continue to still be obsessed with weekend courses and just wasting my time and money on weekend courses. No, but it's been really helpful. I think that that drove me to where I am now. So so from where you are now and being able to look back on the what maybe thirty plus CPD courses you've done, um, unimaginable podcasts and books you've read, smart people you've talked to, if you were to so, so we're in a business where in private practice, uh, where we hire new graduates, we hire new practitioners as do a lot of private practices. Um, so we can, you know, help them shape their, uh, the way they practice and help them build, uh, and find more of their ideal clients and, and shape the way that they want to see clients, that sort of thing. We, one of our greatest things that we are always working on is trying to design the perfect first 12 months of professional development for them so that they are exposed to the most important things early, but not in a way where they are so overwhelmed that they then freeze and feel like they can't do anything. Cause I know that that's happened as well. When um, someone's been exposed to some modern pain neuroscience and they go, Fuck, so I, I just shouldn't do anything. I just like, do I, what do I just tell them to walk? Like, do I just tell them to not come and see me? And it's like, no, 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 you, you should see this person that that would be helpful for you to teach this person and guide them. So in your experience, what do you think would be a great first 12 months of professional development for a new graduate who is going to be seeing people um, with musculoskeletal pain? Mm, mm. It's um, I think it says something that you're asking because it shows how much you care. And I think mm. that's important to acknowledge because there are, unfortunately, not every single workplace and, and the kind of system of practice allows for that support. So for any listeners that are like, oh, like that, it, no matter how good this plan is, if you don't have a sense of autonomy in your workplace to at least practice or like you feel afraid or being judged, if you like try something different and you make a mistake, mm. um, I think no amount of like the best clinician in the world would struggle in that kind of system. So I think Number one, mm. it says something that you're, you're asking. Um, the, from an individual clinician point, I think it's a journey of finding out why did you get into healthcare in the first place? So that historical knowledge can guide the path forward because like the way I saw myself as a new grad is so different to the way I see myself now. And that's mm. normal. I think it's, 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 it's normal to change how we view us, how we view EPs. That's also a conversation. Um, mm. Like what is an EP um, and how we want to practice, like the kind of clinician that we want to become. So I think from an individual standpoint, that having that conversation and having 
the reflective space of like mentors such as yourself, Archie, to, to bounce ideas, to, to just talk mm. about it, um, to mm. start that conversation, knowing that it's going to take time. It's not going to mm. go kind of, you, you, it's not like you should know exactly what kind of clinician you want to become no, first year out. <laughs> no, no way. I'm still like, who am I? Mm. Um, so that, I think that's the first point. And then having, um, so w- once you find out like your direction, long form content will always be best. So like courses and mentoring and experiential learning, it, it will like outperform any kind of short form Instagram, TikTok, Facebook group um, on social media. So I think that's that's also important to know that it takes a bit of time and investment and like deeper actual learning. Mm. Um, so I haven't given you any answers, but before I go to <laughs> off track, <laughs> How, do, how does that sound so far as like a, the base of this so, master plan? That's a good start. A good so start. first off, understanding uh, what it is the, the new grad in front of you uh, actually wants out of their career uh, and starting with that as a foundation uh, and then uh, having a bias towards longer form content rather than follow these great pages on social media um, and just have a scroll and go from there. Probably not the best start. Yeah. Cool. So so in terms of some uh, having that as a foundation, where would you go from there? Hmm. Yeah. And um, on that point, like it, the, I, I follow some amazing accounts on Instagram. So there's nothing wrong yeah. with like the short form. It's just like that, that will never replace proper experiential mm. learning. Mm. Um, and a quick caveat, obvious conflict of interest. I am a mentor and I help run courses. So I'm going to recommend the knowledge exchange. As um, you should. As, thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, just just hope that as well, people are transparent in, in, in that um, when advertising or marketing for courses. So yes, I work as a mentor and, a, and in our course, that I was thinking of like, what are the features of our course and also all the other great courses, like the, the best courses that I've experienced um, and I've come down to six points. So Ooh. let's let's see how we go. Get your notebooks out, everyone. <laughs> one is the course needs to update. So our biomechanics education, not only the name of the course, but the actual content has changed since I took it, and it should change. So if if you're finding courses that are exactly the same or they don't update or change the not only content but how it's delivered or um the kind of rationale the narratives that that they use for a certain modality or treatment that's like oh there's probably better courses out there that are more up to date um Mm. so that's that's the first one it's got to update and change it's got to be a different course so the courses i recommend today will be different in two years three years four years Mm. Mm. um the second is being evidence-based and and having a reliable tested knowledge so there's a lot of courses that, uh, I wouldn't say a lot, there's, there's some courses we'll say that are more so like anecdotal expert opinion based and they have a time and place as well. So the, like, the advantage of an evidence-based course is that that knowledge has been tested and, and hopefully is more reliable. It's kind of mm. like a seatbelt where if, if you had three seatbelts, and one of them was not tested. And the other mm. one you kind of knew was like a little bit tested and they went through some kind of, you know, safety driving mechanism stuff. And the third one they said was rigorously tested. Like they had to update it like ridiculously. It was a, quite a pain actually for them to update it. Which seatbelt would you choose for your car? Yeah, that's a good point. That's kind of the idea that, that helps kind of paint the picture. Not the cheapest one, hopefully. 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 <laughs> um, so I think that that's important. The evidence informed and evidence-based um the third one and i can give shout outs to a few other courses uh would be real examples so having some demonstrations and having that space to reflect on actual humans Mm. uh, to contextualize the theory because you can know all the theory but if you can't apply it to a human and to have the interaction skills and to see what it's like in practice um, you, you can re- might as well read a book or might as well read the studies and that will save mm. you a whole weekend and yeah. also a lot of money. Um, so 
I would say Anthony Lowe. So shout out to Anthony Lowe. Shout out to Peter O'Sullivan. They're my top two where I've had experience where they use patient demonstrations. Um, so and also Anthony Lowe, yeah, yeah. the knowledge exchange. Like, so Anthony Lowe, the physio detective, he's like a, a women's health, but also CrossFit physio yeah. kind of bloke in yep. Sydney. Yep. Does, yep. Um, does he run a, a regular course? Yeah, the last one I think was maybe two years ago. So it's yeah, not okay. every year, um, mm. but he does offer some options. So mm. re- mm. recommend checking out for any listeners, the mm. physio detective. Mm. Um, and Peter O'Sullivan also has some um, patient demonstrations on YouTube, I believe. Yes. So definitely check those out. So real mm. examples, actual humans, clients, patients. Mm. Um, the fourth one is experiential learning. So actually trying things and actually doing uh, interaction skills and practicing communication and practicing exercise coaching um, and having that space for feedback and having that space as well for questions. So the kind of questions that we get in courses range from uh, what, what the hell is this and what do I do? And oh my God. And there's like a fear of um, not knowing how to start. And that's okay. That's like part of the learning journey when you haven't come across information for the first time. That's on one end. The other end of the spectrum is like, oh, this is amazing. Like confirmation bias. I kind of knew this. I just needed a bit more guidance. So ha- what would you do in this case? Or what about if this doesn't work? What would you do if what you just taught doesn't work? So those questions are needed for the deep learning and for the application after the course. Um, so having that uh, like going through the motions and practicing it and getting feedback. That'd be the mm. fourth one. Nice. Um, there's two more, but I probably lost like 10 out of 12 listeners. <laughs> so reflect back, Archie, because my voice is boring after like a bit of time, especially if you're like driving me, and listening. <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got two more, but let me know what you think of those four. Hit me, Andrew. I think what you said before is is very true. I was I was reading I was listening to an audio book this morning, um, Stephen Bartlett, um, the Diary of a CEO, and he's talking about how you learn so much more from your failures than you do from your successes. Um, I think there can often be so much fear of failing that you know we're we're always trying to try and find this ideal perfect like script to use um and I, I assume archie's can can kind of back me up on this one but from from a clinician's perspective i learned so much more from when i fucked up with people it's like i know i know better what to do next time i don't know perfectly but for for me that's that's the thing that stuck out um and the opportunity to learn and to reflect on that either in courses or with mentors is so much more valuable than just, you know, rote learning some pieces of content. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think for some people that's, it's a difficult thing to do to acknowledge a, a failure or a fuck up as an actual failure as a fuck up and not blame something else for, for what happens. Like, oh, the, the person wasn't ready or, you know, they, they didn't do the stuff or they, they didn't respond uh, like it was supposed to, like it does with everyone else. So, you know, it's it's one of a million, you know, wasn't my fault. I was like, well, hold up. That's not really fair. You know, where you you should at least be able to reflect and it's like, okay, well, what could I have done better? Maybe you couldn't control the entire situation, but what things can you influence from that? Uh, and what things could you do better next time? Uh, and if you uh, like are not able to self-reflect like that, on, on every situation, at least to a degree, and, and talk through it with a mentor, you're going to miss out on, on a lot of early learning, a lot of really, really powerful things that you'll just skip over because it's like, oh, it wasn't my problem. It's like, what could you have learned from that one? So yeah. Very, very valuable. Mm. Yeah. The, the, the moments that stick out are probably the mistakes. So might as well have that opportunity as to learn from, from those moments um, and like normalize that. I still make mistakes at the moment. Absolutely. It'd be very weird if, and also maybe a red flag, if uh, someone who is a mentor or course educator says they never make mistakes or they're never wrong. It's like, mm. that, that's that's actually part 
of mm. the journey of continually mm. reflecting and practicing this and having that skill set that you mentioned, Archie, of like, what could I have done differently? Mm. Mm. It, it would be very interesting to see that advertised on some CPD courses where they're like the tried and tested method that never fails us. It's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Keep scrolling, basically. Keep correct. scrolling, yeah, yeah. Keep scrolling. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right, Dan. I'm 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 eager to hear five and six. Yeah, yeah. Number five, principles, not rules. So, looking at how the ideas and the frameworks can be adapted to each individual and to each person's context, because the listeners can't see, but I'm in a private studio in a bougie building in Sydney CBD with like the only sounds that you hear is the ding ding in the background with the lift. Um, and that's it. So I have full privacy. I have air conditioning. I have an air filter. It's amazing. I get some birds as well. It's super cute. So I've got this environment. I can do shit within this environment that I can't do in a really loud, crowded commercial gym, for instance, mm. or I can't mm. do maybe in a home visit even because the home environment doesn't allow the space, the equipment for the kind of movement experiments and the assessments that I do. Um, so I think having the principles then can help anyone apply the processes to their context rather than me saying this is step one, two, and three for movement experiments. This is how you do exposure therapy. Here's step five like four five and six make sure you apply it in this way so if it's very rule based it means it's rigid it means it doesn't adapt to the context and to the individual client so that's probably one of the most important ones Mm. um number the last one uh, is having ongoing support so having a, a group having people to connect with having resources because that's that's needed. The kind of reflection time is needed. You, you can't just go to a weekend course and then think that, I don't know, the information will absorb and you don't mm. have to reflect on it at all. You'll just mm. magically do it and also not make any mistakes. Yeah. Everyone so, has yeah. that. Yeah. Everyone has that like magic Monday feeling after a weekend CPD course where they come and it's like, I know everything. And my first morning of clients are going to get educated the shit out of them. <laughs> And the whiteboard gonna, out. Oh my YouTube god! Links. Whiteboard. Look at all this stuff. Look at all this. We're going to make them do all kinds of crazy assessments. And then you go. Oh. And then by the next week, you've forgotten everything. Um, and those clients are like, "What the fuck was that session about?" <laughs> um, I was like, "Well, hold on." <laughs> and and this probably ties in well to uh, talking about mentoring, uh, which. Uh, well, Dan, you do a lot of mentoring with with clinicians. Andrew, you do a lot of mentoring as well. You've done it with clinicians and now you do it with owners as well. Uh, and you guys both do it externally. So it's from people outside of your own immediate workplace that you uh, spend time with these people every day. Andrew, first off, you would uh, mentor people on what kind of you know, timely basis would you say on average? Fortnightly. Fortnightly. Yeah. Checking the rhythm. Yeah. Unless there's something acute going on, mm. uh, in which case it's weekly. Um, or um, if it's a very well established, quite a larger organization where one small change takes a long time to, to mm. be able to be applied through a, a big organization, then it's monthly. But 90% of the time, fortnightly. Mm. So, on a fortnightly basis, what does that allow you and the mentee to do over that period of time there? Well, you know, we, we start with a plan, right? We, we, we start with why are you getting mentoring? What are you hoping to get out of it? What are, what are the, the, the key signs that you are getting value from mentoring? Um, and as a business owner, that could be lots of things. Um, we then kind of create more shorter term plans of, okay, in four months time, this is what I would like to see implemented, or this is what I would like to see change. Um, and then we try and create, if it's appropriate, we will try and create some objective measure of success in working towards that. Um, and so mentoring is probably 90% accountability 
and 10% content. Like how well are you sticking to the plan? What's come up for you? What are the roadblocks and how can we get through them? Interesting. Dan, how does that differ um, or relate to clinical mentoring that you do? Mm, yeah, it's it's interesting like reflecting on even the similarities and differences between the mentoring and clinical clinician coaching and working with a client and this the processes are very similar where it's like where are you now what are your struggles and what are your problems and how are you managing them okay cool how's that working so what is working what are your strengths we're going to keep building on these strengths and then where do you want to be like like you've mentioned andrew like what why are you seeing me at this time? And what's most important to you? What would you like to gain from mentoring? So it's it's very similar in the, the processes. I'm the worst in general when it comes to, I was going to say organization skills, but I'm, I'm okay. But like planning shit out with like, okay, it's every fortnight. I would say average, yeah, two to four weeks. Um, and we offer like group mentoring. So the kind of timeframes might be a bit different. Um, and the level of support would depend as well on that clinician and their needs. So I, I get clinicians that are back to back, like burning out because of their kind of the system that they're working with and they, they can't afford or see me like every week. So we make ends meet, we, we, like I, I meet them where they're at in terms of if it's group mentoring or if it's, um, just having a skill set and then having like a one-off session and then them coming to me when, when they are ready. Um, so that, uh, that's probably the most, the biggest difference that I would see in, in my context, but very similar processes of like, what are the person's goals? What kind of skill sets frameworks do they need and what kind of tools can we provide and practice so they can thrive? Mm -hmm. So you have someone uh, who you're mentoring, they go to a CPD course, say they go to knowledge exchange on the weekend, and then you catch up with them the next week. Uh, and they've got two days worth of awesome content that they want to start implementing. How will you simplify that down to some like actionable steps that they can start to do without them overwhelming themselves and their clients? Yeah, great, great question. Because that overwhelm is so... So, so, so common when we get like bombarded with all this new knowledge and it like, it hurts our brain, our brains explode after a weekend as well. Yeah. You know, five days of work and then two days of a weekend course. Um, so I would say having one or two kind of like exercise prescription, right? Like you wouldn't give someone 10 exercises. No, we could, okay. but I mean, they'd be like doing them all over the to. place. <laughs> yeah. um, so we'd stick to like one or two exercises. So in a similar way for this uh, clinician, if they've, um, kind of gathered all this knowledge information and they're like, okay, how, where do I start? I'd say one or two um, based on what they took from that course, because what individual A takes from a weekend course might be completely different to individual B based on their prior learning and, and experiences. So that'd be my starting point. One or two changes um, and that's enough for a week. And then the, the rest kind of self-organizes, the rest kind of builds from there rather than having like, you know, an entire new clinical framework with like 20 different questions and different philosophy. It's like too much. Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I like the idea that the, the rest kind of reorganizes itself and it kind of just adds to the foundation uh, and then using that foundation, implementing it for, for me at least takes months, months and months and months for it to kind of filter out and then you get exposed to different situations where you go, oh, actually I have a, uh, a little bit of knowledge or something I can share with this person and practice with this person. And over a, a long time, you end up using all of this stuff through experiential learning uh, and it becomes part of how you practice. Uh, and then I guess as a mentor, it's then being able to go, cool, they seem comfortable with this stuff that we're working on now. Let me see if we can bring in one of those other takeaways that they had that we haven't addressed in a while and and bring that to the forefront and, yeah. and build on that now. Hmm. Yeah. It's like um, when someone comes in with like 28 different beliefs from what previous clinicians have told them about their back pain. Mm. They're going to address all 28 beliefs in session one. Yes. 
No. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, definitely not. <laughs> yes. I would never no. want to get back pain and see you. <laughs> no, do not add to the to the shit pile that's already there. There's yep. no point trying to make a pile of shit smell good. <laughs> um, we we could talk about that so much, but let's move on. We got some other things that we need to get through. Um, so Dan, we we reached out to LinkedIn and Facebook and that sort of thing, uh, to ask for a couple topics. The the first one I've got here is um, discussing the limitations of the biopsychosocial model. Look, this could be a, a very, very big discussion or it could be a, a shorter discussion. I'd, I'd prefer shorter, <laughs> but I don't know. Where, where would you start in terms of discussing the limitations of the biopsychosocial model? That is uh, everyone's favorite thing. Mm. So I've been you know, practicing my Instagram kind of short snippet reels mm. you get like a two minute you know quick and short sharp um so timer on are you ready we'll, we'll try yeah. Okay. yeah so first of all there's value in limitations because that helps us see what it actually is that we're doing with a bps model um and the first one is it was never meant to be a treatment model so applying it as a treatment or an intervention is not the way to do it um it's more about having a framework for treating a human, incorporating all the, the holistic viewpoint of biological, psychological, and social factors. Um, the, the other limitation as well with it is it doesn't give us the actual framework to then apply all the skills. So there's a gap, and that gap is generally filled with communication skills, with case formulation, with clinical reasoning, with mentoring, like we've talked about. Um, and the last one is it doesn't incorporate all the broader aspects of care, of context, of sociocultural considerations. Like we talk about social determinants of healthcare having such a big impact. It doesn't even touch on some of those ideas of like poverty. If people can't afford it. How do you manage mm -hmm. that? That's a different skill set and conversation to have. So it's mm -hmm. not the panacea. And that would be my two minute summary. Oh, he's very good. <laughs> he's very, very, very good. Andrew, you yourself are a TikToker. No, I'm kidding. You know, <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Al, how did you find that uh, that explanation? I like, I like that. I, I, um, again, I started the biopsychosocial model was new to me. I didn't come about that in my first few years of practice. In fact, it was it was only introduced to me as our team grew and they went to courses like the Knowledge Exchange and went, hang on a minute, there are different ways or there's different, as you said before, different principles of um, working uh, with, with clients or with patients. Um, and I, and I suppose as someone who who was a little bit removed um, from it because my my role changed, um, I definitely put my hand up and like the the amount of content that is on Instagram and TikTok and all these things, I, I'm confused, right? It's like wh who is saying what and what's saying this and and there's some like I'm I'm kind of a bit of a lurker in some like physio groups and. You know, they're saying certain things about EPs and they're saying certain things about this. And it's like, who's right here? Mm. And, and so the way that you describe that then that, you know, it's not a it's not a treatment. It's a, more of a philosophy for treatment. I think that really resonated with me. And again, it, it's about working with the individual that's in front of you. Yeah, I, I made back to mistakes as well. Like I made so many mistakes with this that this, I learned this through literally applying a BPS model, like a kind of tick box. There's three columns of B, bio, psycho, social factors. Okay. Which one can I fix? And which one was the wrong one? So I'll make it right. And I am the fixer and I'm the savior. Yay, me. Um, so <laughs> it's still like the same uh, find it, fix it method, like the biomedical approach, just applied with like two extra columns, I guess. And that, that's not the way it's, it was intended, unfortunately. So I needed extra kind of skill sets and frameworks to, to fill in that gap, um, to make it for more of a philosophy, as you mentioned, Andrew. Mm. For you, Dan, 
sorry, sorry, Ashley, I'm just going to make one comment and, and then pass it over, um, which I think, again, validates the point of the benefit of external mentoring. Because if all of my team were just learning off me and the way that I had done it 15 years ago, then I would probably without knowing it now, because I'd be excluding myself from the conversations that made me feel awkward about my beliefs, say, oh, no, don't, don't worry about that. Just, just do it this way. And I think the, the benefit that comes from external mentoring is taking a perspective outside of the business, outside of, you know, your person that you report to uh, and just check it. And it might not be right or it might not be completely wrong, but just like the validation of like, yeah, okay, it's on the right path or hang on a minute, I'm hearing different things now. Um, can really be useful in those first few years. Yeah, it's it's it can be um, embarrassing to like reflect back on what our actual thoughts are because we don't want to ask a stupid question. I know about your experiences in like lecture halls or even like tutorials back at uni. Like there'd there'd be a bit of a fear of am I am I getting it? Am I the only one that's not getting it? Am I dumb? Um, so that we need like a you know a classmate next to us just to bounce ideas just to have that space to be like, Hey, is this on the right track? Like I, I didn't quite understand that. And I feel a bit you know, embarrassed to ask. So I think having that space to bounce ideas, to under, to put our perspective out there in the first place, put our like thoughts of overwhelming kind of thoughts in our head down, saying it out loud or, or writing it down and then having someone else reflect. That's so valuable. Very nice. Dan, um, I, I think, the one thing I'd add to that as well is having that classmate next to you. And sometimes that classmate isn't a mentor in, in real life. Sometimes that is being in a, in a really useful Facebook group or doing group mentoring or talking with uh, some of your other colleagues or making relationships with people in your profession or who practice similarly to you outside of your workplace and networking. You know, it's something that I feel like uh, a lot of, well, we get stuck into as EPs and we talk about networking and networking uh, and building a referral network is sometimes we forget about our own profession and how much we can learn from talking to each other. Uh, and that's something I've tried to focus on more recently is talking to more EPs who work in different practices and different settings to myself and trying to catch up and talk with them more uh, because you can learn so much. You can learn so much from other people who are trying to do similar things to you, but in different settings. Um Super, super valuable there. I On that point about talking about EPs, Dan, you posted one other thing there and I sent it to Andrew. And and I'm not going to lie, it's been a while since I've heard the word epistemology. <laughs> I didn't Google that. <laughs> Andrew, I've heard to Google it. <laughs> you, you've, you've heard of it? <laughs> Are you well? <laughs> Are you okay? My, my brain where, where I most often see that word is I follow a follow an Instagram page called Street Epistemology, um, which is not like related to this topic at all. Uh, Dan, you're probably the best. Actually, or Andrew, do you want to try and explain? No, what no, you're... no, no, not at all. No, um, um, this question off. Yeah, Dan, give us your your TikTok explanation of what epistemology is. Uh, oh, and then we can talk yeah. about um, whether we should be basing our practice off reliable epistemology or our professional title. Oh, yeah. So epistemology is a buzzword. It's just how do we know what we know? The methods that we use to come to our conclusions. So like back to the example of the classmate next to you, how do you know he's reliable? He or she or they? How do you know your classmate is going to give you helpful advice? Hmm. You don't. So, so that that would be the method that you'd use. So that would be your quote unquote epistemology in that case. Um, so so like back to clinicians, it's like how are we basing our, our clinical practice? What what sources do we use? What do we think is reliable? Hmm. Um, and that that's kind of where you know the, the another buzzword evidence based comes from. Um, yeah, which evidence base you're using? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So it's a it's a helpful philosophy and and it. It's one of those things that I wish I knew about or I wish I, I, wish I questioned a lot earlier because it really helps me now to filter all the information. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's definitely very easy to to go through and and learn a lot of things from a lot of people without questioning that. Um, I think social media is uh, an incredible well, risk slash reward in this area because you can follow these people who appear to know so much and are so convincing and you go, well, they must be right uh, without actually questioning. It's like, well, how do they know this other than they're just doing it and they say that they say, and they say that it works. And it's like, oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We get the, the mate that DMs us ridiculous things and we're like, oh, okay, cool. I'm not sure if this is sarcastic or if you want me to call this one out or yeah. like, okay, cool. Um, How do you know? That that's right. That's the question. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I I just I go back to thinking about Joel Seedman anytime I um think of this stuff. Andrew, do you know who Joel Seedman is? He's he a. Good. It's you should. It's it's an absolute cracker. He's this uh what, very inventive. What, what profession is he, Dan? What's PhD, his background? Pretty in... sure physical therapist and works yeah. with like elite athletes. So in that yes. setting, to differentiate himself, um, he gets people to do some ridiculous, very inventive, creative exercises some wild things like banded bird dog bent over rows I, I saw a thing from him like a couple years ago oh, maybe a couple years a while ago and it was like you shouldn't be deadlifting until you can do a banded bird dog bent over row at 20 kilos as this guy like balancing with a glute like a, a booty band on and like hand and knee on one bench while trying to balance and do a bent over row as well um, he, he loves, he's fucking hilarious. He does some great stuff. <laughs> he's worth a follow if you're not there, but don't take him seriously. Just laugh at it. <laughs> I, I'm not recommending that you follow his advice. I'm just saying that he's hilarious to look at and go, that's a lot of effort. I would love to see the setup for some of the exercises he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so this kind of brings us to a conversation that, that someone brought up on LinkedIn for us. That is, should we be basing our practice off reliable epistemology, uh, not our professional title? Mm. It's um, another way that I see that discussion uh, online and amongst colleagues is like, you know, physio versus EP. Mm. Like, mm. should a, if you if you have a, a family member who has pain, who should they see? Should they see a physio or should they see an EP? And I think there's there's a lot of kind of domains that I'm no expert in when it comes to like marketing, when it comes to what would be best as a brand or what would be best for you know the, the public. I, I have like a, my own epistemology, my own uh, how I come to what I know, which is through tested, reliable philosophy of science, science based stuff. So so if if we are claiming to be science-based and evidence-based why should it matter what professional title within like legal social um, constructs like i'm not gonna um start becoming a surgeon Mm. with Mm -hmm. with someone because because sometimes surgery is very much indicated for some people in some contexts right absolutely um so keeping within like a you know legal scope of practice um how would my practice change if I was a physiotherapist with the same knowledge base compared to an EP, compared to a chiro, compared mm. to an osteo? Mm. Um, so that, that's that's where I come from. I have like my biases, but I think it's yeah. helpful to have those questions mm. as a starting point because then mm. it helps us reflect on what we think our role is mm. as an EP um, and uh, what we were taught as well. I was taught very much chronic disease management. Mm. So then I would see someone with acute pain and I'd be scared. Be like, I don't know what to do. Mm. Scan. I don't know. How do I know if it's too much? How do I know if yep. it's like, I've fucked them up with my loading and I would like panic because I, I would be very, very uh, uncertain about where, where my line is. And then as well with someone with say depression, anxiety or, or a mental health condition, I'd be like, oh, not my, not my role, not my job not going to talk Mm. about feelings. Sorry. Mm. Um, So so I think practice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and your episode, shout out to your episode, the discussion, Mm. I think two or so episodes. Yeah. A couple ago. Yeah. Um, That was by far one of the best ones that I've heard when it comes to specifically for EP scope of practice. So I wish I had that 
episode that would have saved me a bit of grief back in the day. Because um, these conversations are important to reflect on and to, to have to look like, what is our role? What is an EP? What is mm. our scope of practice? Mm. Super interesting. So a uh, question for you, Dan. Say right now your, uh, your, your university degree changed from exercise physiologist to physiotherapist. Would what you do on a day-to-day basis change? I hate to say it depends. Yeah, well, go on. Yeah, you can explain that. That's fine. So if I was in the same context that mm. I'm in, like I mentioned, yep. fancy studio, Fuji, um, pretentious gym, uh, <laughs> surrounded by lawyers that hate when I make noise with the weights, um, don't tell them, um, I would be practicing the same. I, I, I have a conversation with, with Anthony Verrick, who's a psychologist, and the processes that we use are so similar. He just has extra skill sets mm. and he just has extra context because of his name and because of the way he does he has a different personality he has different Mm. supervision and like added knowledge in domains that i don't even know about so we're not exactly the same but we use the same processes act Mm. acceptance and commit therapy pain science that's it um Mm. i think i'm a better coach but don't tell him but like (laughs) we, we we should be roughly the same so if my uh a loved one like mom or dad knee pain they go to anthony berrick or they go to daniel arbilla I'd hope Daniel Abrilla has better jokes, but same shit, same, same practice, same results. Um, so, so that, so it comes back to me as to the epistemology question, like what, what are we basing our practice off? Because then you have two different EPs and the EP, my, myself five years ago compared to myself now, totally different practice, even though it's the same professional title. Mm. 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 And it's absolutely right, right? Like if I have a family member or a friend in another city who uh, asks me, it's like, hey, can you find me an EP where I live? And it's like, sure, let me do some actual research into the person though because, you know, the the next EP down the road could practice very, very differently from how I practice. Uh, and, you know, just how you finish uni does not really set how people practice anymore. I mean, people go in all kinds of directions. I I think what I'd add on top of uh, your answer there for if my degree now said physiotherapy and someone came to me and I asked them, what are your expectations uh, for what you'd like to get out of today? I feel like the client's expectations may be different because I've now got the title of physiotherapist rather than exercise physiologist. So when people come and see me as an EP, they are this innate feeling or like expectation that's like, well, I assume we're going to do exercise. Whereas I know that there's some physios out there who struggle, um, who, who work off the same evidence base that we do that because it doesn't say exercise in their title and they've seen physios in the past who they get put on the bed um, and they get rubbed and they get needled and they get cupped that when they go and see a physio and they go, what are your expectations? Like, well, I want you to do physio things to me. It's like, well, what the fuck is physio things? That could be one of a million different treatments. Um, and chiros have this as well. And it's like, oh, I want you to, you know, adjust me, like do something. It's like, well, there's so many different ways of adjusting people. It's like, so meeting the person's expectations uh, while also trying to uh, work with a a good epistemology. Ah, oh, fuck. It's so confusing. Like, I, I think there is... I think it would change for me a bit because of what the client's expectations are mm. and that I don't think I would be able to reliably in my first session with someone completely violate their expectations uh, every single time. Yep. So I, I think there are people who would find it really, really difficult working under a different title. Yeah. Andrew, what and do you think? Must be a oh, nightmare. Sorry. I was going to say for business owners as well. Plus also okay. an advantage because you get, I guess, different expectations, different uh, people coming in in the first place. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm also keen to learn. I'm, I'm going to sidestep that question. And I'm going to ask a different one. Um, fuck, I mean, I, so I am on a working group with ESSA and one of the, the outcomes of this working group is like what is the elevator pitch for an exercise physiologist, right? Like, we've got fucking 10 people working on this thing. Um, 
in in private practice in, in most practices right it, you know there's a there's a a need to go and generate referrals and to go and speak to GPs or other allied health professionals. Dan, when when you're going and and telling people about what you do, what do you say? I was literally trying to type, but I'm not fast enough to ask ChatGBT. Create an <laughs> elevator pitch. And I'll, 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 I'll keep talking and, and you can do that. Yeah, yeah just cut that bit out of the podcast. Thanks, Archie. Um, <laughs> I would not uh, be cutting that out. It's it's so hard. I think my principle that I always fall back to is it, it's more about the individual practitioner than it is about the profession. I, unfortunately, I can't speak for the profession because I've I've seen all the positives, all the negatives, all the in betweens, all the different contexts as well. I'm I'm just in MSK pain private practice. I've got my niche. I have no idea what neuro is like. I have no idea what cardiac rehab, even like people within work cover when they're um, in, in that kind of system. I don't know that system as well as EPs, physios, osteos, chiros who are working with that clientele. So mm. I would say it's based on who the person is that's asking and it's based on the individual and their training. Right. So don't refer to an exercise physiologist, refer to Dan Abella. <laughs> that's a tough one. That's a tough one. If, so, if, you're, if you're sitting in a meeting across from someone and you're just mm, saying, this is the way that I do it. Yeah, I, I'm going to be in. I probably wouldn't be in that meeting because I'd be so annoying. I'm the person that <laughs> just like epistemology and ontology <laughs> and philosophy. Shut up, Dan. Not, we're not including you. <laughs> we need results. We need them now. Yeah. Like, and healthcare is failing. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the best person for that. I'll, I'll take that. As, Andrew, where are people at? Where is the roundtable at with that discussion? Well, everybody, like like Dad said, right? There, you're trying to find a one to two sentence thing that encompasses too many different elements. Like it's 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 almost impossible to to try and do this. And and I sit there and I go, well, that's not what rebound is, and that's not what Andrew does, and that's not what Archie does. I think for if, if that's me, I'm talking about what I do. Like I, I like I think you said it perfectly, Dan. Like I can't speak for the profession, but I can speak for what I do. And so when when we're in those meetings, that's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. You you can go into like exercise based, active based interventions for people with health conditions, but mm. hopefully the person asking that's actually a good like filter to see if they actually care about your, your answer or they're just like saying hi, how's it going? Who are you? What do you do? Okay, cool. Bye. Because um, if they want to learn more about, oh, what health conditions? Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard of that before. What mm. isn't that like a physio? So then you can go next elevator pitch. Mm. Um, Archie, putting you on the spot, what, what do you reckon? I look my elevator pitches. I use movement and exercise to help people um, manage their health conditions and injuries, and I keep it so broad like that. I I stopped saying just exercise. I started saying movement and exercise. Um, because some people have like a ooh, reaction to exercise and they go, oh, gym, you know, running. It's like, no, not always. Um, very often not that. Um, so I just had a movement because like, well, 99 times out of a hundred, I'm trying to think of the one time it doesn't, a <laughs> hundred times out of a hundred, uh, my guidance and coaching with clients invoked some kind of movement. Uh, whether they're doing it with me or I'm guiding them through doing it externally, we're signing with that. Uh, and outside of that, we're we're looking on working on some kind of improving the management of some kind of injury, health condition. Uh, otherwise, let me find a really good personal trainer for you. Yeah, like happy happy to see you. Um, otherwise, but you know, I'm. <laughs> Yeah, you're There's, going to be paying me more than you'd be paying a personal trainer. They might as well see a personal trainer. Yeah, and this is um like a PR kind of problem. How do we communicate this? And would we recommend EPs? I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I I know personal trainers that have more up to date frameworks and they keep up to date with evidence based courses than EPs than mm. than I was back in the day. Like mm. um. I would not recommend seeing me back in 2017. <laughs> so, which is funny, right? Because you probably still would have got very good outcomes with a lot of clients. Um, the shit jokes get some people. 
the placebos were very strong with the jokes i'm sure oh dear dan i reckon we we've kept you long enough here let's do a quick drink check-in how was your water oh it's uh it's kept me sustained and uh (laughs) quenched my thirst shout out to h2o shout out to h2o mother earth andrew how's the 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 west coast uh pilsner going down very well thank you how's your volta oh wonderful yeah, I mean, it could be zero alcohol. I'm still not convinced. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I thought it was not alcoholic. <laughs> oh, it was very good, though. It was very good. Dan, um, I know you're up here. You're running a, a course uh, in Sydney at Rebound in, a, in two weeks or a week and a half. Are there any spots left for that course? Yes, yes. We've oh, got a shit, few spots actually. Left. This is going to be uh, released after that. So um, oh, sorry if you didn't We had a few spots everyone. left at this yeah. time. Important. Yeah, and the course was awesome. Thanks for coming, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> like Inception. Oh, this is weird. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, the thought is appreciated. The thought is, yeah. If you want to, if you want to see these courses, the knowledgeexchange.org is where you find them. Dan, what are your other pipes? Where Where do you post? Where Where can people see you? Yeah, so uh, I'll go down the um the pipeline of like dance. The dancing exercise physio oh. and I, I wrote physio oh. because ologist is just too long for the instagram username don't come at me physiotherapist um and then arbilla exercise physiology is probably easiest for instagrams beautiful it is a-r-b-i-l-l-a it's in the description of the podcast mate we'll probably come back and do a part two if we can schedule another one i know it took us a couple of months to get this one out um <laughs> but we will find another time and get you back on at some point thank you so much for coming on man loving it keep up the great work thank you we will andrew see you later thank you bye